I had to go back and make sure I wasn't re-preaching a Palm Sunday message. You know, sometimes you you inadvertently reach into the Rolodex of your mind and pull out sermons and 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 thankfully, you know, our our routine that we've worked ourselves into with our kids has kind of started to overflow into to Sunday services as well. So uh, they're they're waiting. There's no pictures this week, guys. Okay, no pictures. Didn't put any pictures of you, even though I should have filmed their dramatic interpretation of part of the story we're going to share this morning. But uh, I struggled to title this message. And this isn't as much a title as it is a thought, but the the thought that I couldn't get away from is the world still cries Hosanna. And in John chapter 12, verse 13, it says, they took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna. Blessed is the King of Israel that comes in the name of the Lord. And... And this won't be new if, if you've ever been in a service where I've preached about Palm Sunday. Uh, I have, have given you the in, interpretation of Hosanna, but we're going to do it again anyway. Hosanna, or Hashanai, means save us now. Save us now. Uh, another interpretation according to Strong's Concordance is, Oh, save. Oh, save. It doesn't even feel like a complete thought if you just read the excerpt from Strong. So uh, luckily there's other resources to look at as well. But save us now. Can you imagine a, the, the emotion that was tied to that statement as they, they gathered in the, in the streets coming into Jerusalem with, with palm branches like we've already talked about and throwing off their own coats the the thing that has never failed to strike me is when you get large groups of people together the emotion that comes from large gatherings and and if you've never had the opportunity to to go worship with a very large group of people and i, I i've worshiped in groups of you know two or three hundred and felt that energy and felt that emotion but then I've also done it with 14,000 and I'll tell you the energy and the emotion is is just there's something about the design God gave that that as we as more of his children gather together the the emotion that's there and and last night we were watching a, a documentary that's on Hulu called the Jesus music and looking at the uh, Expo 72 that took place in Dallas where there were almost 200,000 young people gathered to hear this Jesus music. It was a revolutionary thing of the day. But 200,000 people singing, they will know we are Christians by our love. And, and I sat there watching this little iPad screen and... I got goosebumps even just seeing the video of it because when, when you get large groups of people that are really on the same page, the emotion that's there. And sometimes reading the account in the Word, we, 
we try to pull away from that and just read it as a story or an event. And, and I want you to understand that these people, when they saw Jesus riding in on that donkey, they had emotion tied to that expectation. And, and part of the struggle that the, the world falls into the same trap these people did, they, they have an expectation of who Jesus is when they cry Hosanna, that when He doesn't meet it exactly like they want it, well, He can't be real. Well, your church, you know, they're supposed to be a loving, you know, supporting group of people. But when they don't meet that expectation, well, you know, all the church is just a lie. This is the world we're facing today. And, and all the while, they're still out there crying Hosanna and trying every other thing. Try the latest, greatest thing. You know, I'm, I, I'll just slip into diets. You can go through the diet fads, intermittent fasting, keto, low carb, high carb. You know, you, you just, all these different things that people try to lose weight. And, and the reality is, the, and this is a completely free, different sermon for you right here. The reality is just find something and be faithful. And, and the reality for us as the church is, is we're not showing them that we're consistently faithful to trust God who He is no matter what our circumstance. We're, we're just as guilty as these people uh, of doing this. And this is the thought that came to mind. This may be the only thing you remember all day and that's okay. The world is full of people crying Hosanna, but living the crucify Him lifestyle. We want God to save us, or even people in the church, we claim that God has saved us, but we go out the door and we live the exact same lifestyle we've always lived. Brennan Manning once said, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is people who acknowledge Him with their lips and go out the door and get on living their normal lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. The people that heralded Hosanna coming in on Monday yelled crucify Him on Friday because He didn't cause a violent revolution. He wasn't what they expected, so, so that's what they did. We in the church sometimes struggle with, you know, we get together on Sunday, check the box. I, I read my Bible every day, check the box. But you realize you have several thousand minutes a day? And, and this is me, this hit me just hard, I promise I give God a solid 37 minutes most days. 37 out of over 200 plus thousand minutes of my time. Ouch. And my math's horrible, but I'm just telling you, 37 versus thousands is not good. But the world is out there. They're still crying out, save us. Save us now. You know what save us now looks like in today's world? It looks like I'm tired. It looks like I'm depressed. It looks like I'm confused about my identity. It looks like nobody loves me. It looks like I'm broke. 
It looks like I'm stressed. We, we can't live in a bubble thinking that the world is just going to come and, and grab us by the shirt and say, tell me about Jesus. Because they're not. They're already out there crying, save me now. Save me now, but they have no idea who they're crying to. In Genesis chapter 22, and it's a lot of Scripture, so I didn't put it all on the board because we're, we're going to be kind of breaking it down for you. But my, my kids are going to be like, oh, wow, we've heard this before. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. And the King James, it says, here am I. And if you go back to the, the root of that, it's henna or hene. And, and some people with their terrible oaky tongue will call it heneni. Because <laughs> it's all supposed to be one word and we struggle with this because we're not Hebrew. And, and what that phrase is all throughout the Bible, and you'll see it in the Old Testament, it shows up over and over and over and over. Anytime you read in the King James when someone responds to God, here am I, that is what they are saying. And it's not, oh, you found me. You know, hide and seek, you found me. Ollie, ollie, oxen free. No, it, it's not, you located me. It is a reply to an authority figure or a call to attention saying, I am here and I have extreme focus. Or the, the very simple Strong's version of it is behold. I am here to behold what you tell me. And, and it was in the Hebrew army, this was actually a call to attention. And that sticks out to me because I always have that mindset. But, but Abraham hears from God and he says, I'm here and I'm listening and I'm focusing on what you have for me. How powerful would our day begin if every day we started with that phrase? Here am I. Or here I am, Lord. Good morning, Lord. You woke me up. I'm alive today, so I have a purpose. Here I am. Help me focus in and tell me what it is. And Abraham is going to speak to and for God through determined obedience. God's picking this back up in verse 2. God says, Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, who you love very much, and go to the land of Moriah. And sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. Is there any dialogue here between Abraham and God? God is speaking. Abraham's reply is not vocally to God. Because it says the next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey. And he took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. And then he chopped wood for a fire and for a burnt offering and set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there, then we will come right back. 
there any part of this where Abraham has said, God, I'm going to do it. God, I, I, I'm going to do it. He never says it. And I think one of the things that we struggle with sometimes is that our obedience requires action. We can say we're going to do something until the end of time, but saying and doing are two different things. Two very different things. And continuing in verse 6, So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders. I, I don't have time to break into all of the parallels between this and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, but what did God lay on the shoulders of Jesus on the way to Golgotha? The wood on which He would be sacrificed. Just mind-blowing stuff. Of course, any of you teenagers get mad at your dad for putting a workload on you, just be glad it's not to go sacrifice you on. Just checking. While he himself carried the fire and the knife. That's just, that's just like a, that's a farm dad right there. He's going to carry the tools that you're just not ready to use yet. Give my son a look real quick. I'm going to carry the tools you're not ready to use yet. You're going to get to carry the heavy loads. You do the grunt labor. Okay, that's another sermon. But, and they both walked on together. When they arrived at the place God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. He tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Okay, anytime you see somebody's name twice in the Old Testament, it is a a very significant moment of, I need your attention right now. Okay? When you're really scared that your kid's going to step on a snake, do you call their name once or do you call their name really loud a couple of times? Same kind of thing. <clears throat> Abraham's second vocal response of this chapter is, yes, here am I. I, I can tell you that when Abraham heard the voice this time he really didn't have to say I'm at attention I'm giving you all of my focus but he does because how different this story looks if if the voice says do it how different is the story I mean it, it's it's one that we would be terrified to read if the voice said do it but the voice says, don't lay a hand on the boy. Do not hurt him in any way. For I know that you truly fear God. For you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in the thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. And Abraham named the place Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. And to this day, people still use the name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The lessons that we learn from Abraham. Abraham starts his obedience early. He, he's, not, he's not a, I got to have my coffee first kind of guy. 
he rolls out of bed and he determines that this is the day the Lord has made. And I'm going to be obedient. The first thing he does is early he saddles his donkey. And this makes no sense in the order of the story because why are you going to put the burden on the donkey early before you go get everything else? Okay. He then takes time to go gather the wood and the other items needed for the sacrifice. And I heard this explained, uh, just was really, really clear that when he saddled his donkey, there was no doubt they were going to make the journey. He took away the opportunity for doubt to arise. If you get up early and decide, Lord, this is the day that I'm going to I'm going to share the gospel with, and God fills in the name for you. You make up your mind early and nothing will deter you from it. But a lot of us are like, oh, I'll share the gospel. You keep saying that. It makes me cringe. It, I just, I don't want to be a weirdo. The, the 72 slam was, they called them Jesus freaks. In the 90s, you know, DC Talk flipped that and made it a badge of honor. What will people think if they hear that I'm a Jesus freak? What will people do if they find out it's true? I'd rather be abandoned and neglected by this world because they can't understand me. They can't understand why I love Jesus than to get caught in the constant cycle that this world has of, of just beating you up, giving you just enough time to recover to beat you up again. And never knowing what it is to be free. <clears throat> the next thing, after they gather what's necessary, and, and understand, he gathered what was necessary. He entertained questions because people will always have questions. And I'm telling you, when you go to share the gospel with people, people will have questions. They'll have questions you can't answer. If, if God is good, then why do bad things happen to good people? Well, uh, I have an answer for that now. Praise God. You ready for this? Write this down. Bad things happen to good people because it allows them a chance to grow their faith. You read the entire book of Job, that's what it's about. It was Job's faith that grew through all of that tragedy and, and heartache and hurt. And, and people are like, I don't like that. Well, you don't have to like it. Because faith, every man's given a measure of faith, but if you want to have much faith, you have to go through some things to grow that spiritual muscle. You're going to have to endure some things. People don't like that part of the New Testament either. Endure hardness is a good soldier of Jesus Christ. That's not a fun one. Where's the love? Well, I'll tell you, He loves you enough to make sure that you're the best version of you you can be for Him. And sometimes that means He has to knock the rough edges off. Sometimes that means He has to grind you a little bit to sharpen you up into something useful. So sometimes you're going to run into questions. And you have to clarify in your mind that God is enough. This is what Abraham did. He said, he said, son, 
I know, you're asking me because we have the wood, we have the fire, we have the knife. You're asking where the sacrifice is. Well, I'm going to tell you God will provide. And, and what a powerful statement. You know, the, the doubts that you have in your mind about being able to share the gospel, just get those three words in your mind. God will provide. And suddenly, a lot of the burden is lifted off of you. Not in Isaac's case, because Abraham, when he gets to the spot, throws the wood on his back. I still love that. I'm going to have so much fun with that for the next few weeks. But... <clears throat> When they get to the place they're going, when he puts the wood on Isaac's back, he tells his two servants, who are probably detractors or distractions, because are you willingly going to stand by and watch your master drive a knife into his kid on the altar? <clears throat> probably not. So he put them aside, and, and he made bold statements when he got rid of all the distractions. I want you to understand our world is masterfully tailored to distract us. And you have to be intentional about putting away the distractions and the detractors. And, and I want you to understand that there will be good-hearted Christian people that will be detractors. They will tell you, no, you know, that's really not God speaking to you. They cannot, I cannot tell you what God says to you. If I ever get here and tell you, Jeff, this is what God told me is the will for your life, I'm probably wrong. Now, if you start to tell me something and God confirms it in my spirit and I say, yeah, you know what? Man, I've been praying for you and that's what God revealed for you. And I've just been praying God's will for your life. Guess what? That's two witnesses. That's a completely different thing. But if someone were to come through the door and tell me that, you know, God has called you to go do this and God hadn't told me to do that, I'm going to tell them, I love you, brother. God bless you. But they're not going to sit there. I'm not going to give them a seat at the table. They're not going to be at the table of my life telling me God's will for me because that's my job to get into the word of God and to seek his face in prayer and to know his will. And sometimes that's a struggle. And sometimes I have to go away even from those five beautiful distractions I have in my house. Or the one really beautiful distraction that they came from. And the next thing that Abraham does is he's obedient in worship. There, there's times that we're called just to stop what we're doing to focus in and to worship God. And, and for some of you, that may be singing like a coyote caught in a trash compactor. For others, that may be you know, quietly just meditating on God. For some of us, it's reading His Word out loud. And, and here's a fun freebie from my pastor friend in Georgia. He said, if if the word of, you need the Word of God to speak to you and you need God to speak to you in an audible voice, start reading the Bible out loud. I'll take it a comic step further or just have James Earl Jones be God and read you the Bible. You know, Darth Vader's voice without the distortion is 
Pretty good voice to read the Bible. But Abraham so obediently seeks to worship God that he has the knife held above his son when he finally gets to the point where in the middle of all that, he listens. And I'm telling you, I I would be holding that knife shaking and, and deep in my soul begging God to intervene if God had asked me to do that. I can't imagine the strength it took for God to sacrifice His own Son for me. Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 17. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how do they believe in Him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? For it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. What if we all acted a little more like Abraham? And early we decide we're going to go share the gospel. And then we take the time to get ready, meditating on God's Word and what He's done for you. The the most powerful witness you'll ever have is simply telling people what He's done for you. You don't have to be a biblical scholar. You don't have to know the address, chapter, and verse of the Word of God at all. But you have to have a deep ownership of what Jesus did for you. And be be willing and ready to tell that story. Speak praise to Him because He's enough. The the people who struggle with being called on to pray or struggle with sharing the Gospel is often because they're not willing to simply have conversation with God in their daily life. And... And when you're out there feeding cows and you're by yourself, talk to God out loud. It's not crazy. There there are actually scientific studies done that you'll live a longer life because you're having a conversation that's so much deeper than anything you share with another human being. And there's a piece, and I can't get into the neurology behind it, that comes through that And it's really amazing that science is out there that says people who pray live longer. Put away the distractions and the detractors. This is my battle a lot. I can't hold it up because it's on that tripod. That distraction gets in the way a lot. And there are detractors in my life all the time. And and that's okay. Be obedient in a lifestyle of worship. And whatever you eat or drink, do it all to the glory of God. Your everything that you're taking into your body, do it to the glory of God.
and listen and obey as he leads. I, I can only imagine how laser focused we would be if, if God called us to go sacrifice one of our children. We would be laser, and fo- laser focused to hear his voice because we would want what Abraham got, which was don't harm the child. Well, guess what? There's a world full of people that are sacrificing themselves on the altars of this world that God has been calling to us to hear their cries of Hosanna and to speak the gospel to save their life. To come into that situation and be the hand of God that stops that that knife that they've been slowly sacrificing themselves with. The to step into their addiction and their struggle and to show them the love of Jesus. There's a world crying, Hosanna. Will you show and tell them about Jesus the Messiah?